named our podcast the World Class Agency Podcast, not because we thought we were world class, but because we try and get closer to it every conversation that we have. What does World Class Estate Agency look like to you? World Class Estate Agency is all about people. The good estate agents add adds an incredible amount of value to the consumer. He's, he's looking after the customer properly, so being approachable, being accessible. And for me, every day's a learning day. What does being a world-class agent mean to you? Hello and welcome to today's episode of the World Class Agency Podcast. My name is Mark Orrell and I'm joined as ever by Mr. Sam Hunter. How are you, my friend? And dare I ask, have you been watching the cricket? <laughs> Good morning, Mark. Hello, listeners. Uh, we're recording this on the morning of day five, uh, although I'm reliably informed it's raining, uh, which I don't know how I feel about that uh, because that probably increases the chances of a draw or an Australian mm. loss more than it does an English loss. But yeah, I'm feeling good. I've been watching the cricket. Um, it's always nice to flick the TV on at eight o'clock at night and have like three or four hours of cricket <laughs> on the head of you. Uh, sure this is well yeah, I, think about I that. almost prefer away series than I do home series. Although the commentary is atrocious. It's just so pro England. It's just disgusting. <laughs> Um, I don't know. I, again, I, we'll, we'll talk about real estate in a second, but I don't know if you've seen, there's a clip that's going around the moment where Kevin Peterson um, is just lauding on Joe Root for his second innings and Ricky Ponting just goes, mate, he's out and he only got 40. <laughs> uh, and I just thought that was, that That to me just, just sums it up. Everyone's uh, in love with Basball and yet here we are four days in and it's just so evenly poised. So. Mm. Revolutionary, maybe. Entertaining, definitely. Yeah, and I think that that's the thing that sort of caught my attention over the last few days because I'm not particularly a cricket fan. In fact, the Ashes has kind of snuck Nobody's up on perfect, me. perfect, Mark. <laughs> the Ashes have kind of snuck up on me. But then I did find myself watching the highlights yesterday because it was a, a day of test cricket that, that had everything. So I think you're absolutely right. Is it... Is it revolutionary? Maybe. Is it more entertaining? Definitely. And is that what Test cricket needed? Hundred percent. So I think the fact yeah. that you know it's got it going to have more people talking about Test cricket can only be good for for the game. And you know the Ashes is always uh, pretty special. My uh, headline was uh, something about rekindling the spirit of two thousand and five at Edgbaston today. So we'll we'll see that. But of course, by the time this goes out, we'll know we'll we'll know the result. But. Yeah, and entertaining summer, and I'm sure we'll be able to have a few more chats about the sport that you love before the end of the summer. We might make you a, a fan yet. You might have to watch it, yeah. <laughs> Actually, and 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 like as we always do on this show, trying to relate uh, real life back to uh, our life of a state agency. <laughs> um, what England have done, and and I will give. Um, man at the helm brennan mccullum you know cousin new zealander um probably as far from england as you can get both geographically <laughs> mentally psychologically uh, but somehow as the coach of uh that team what he has managed to do is he's captivated maybe cricket fans mm. into thinking that cricket is box office viewing mm. um and that is magnificent and he's got people who would not be speaking about cricket interested in cricket and talking about it, um, and he's raised the perception of it as a sport 
Um, and it goes back to those hard, like there's a, a, a thing here in Australia, like if the Australian cricket team is doing well, the nation is doing well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, it's a bit like the All Blacks in New Zealand. I think that that's the spirit that he's trying to carry in. And not that you, we're going to say if, if, if state agents are doing well, the nation is doing well, but there is an opportunity for estate agents as the sort of mayors of their local town who are hopefully being really consistent in their marketing. You and I are having a conversation about funny marketing before we hit record on this to be different, mm-hmm. you know, to, to do their own version of Bazball and revolutionize uh, real estate in terms of marketing and content and education and entertainment so that you can captivate your local marketplace so that you can have people who actually want to, watch your videos or engage with your marketing or anything like that rather than just pumping a new listing out or putting a photo of you on the internet in front of a sold stick here talking about how good you are. Mm. I, I think that that's that's the real lesson here is they've fundamentally changed the way that they operate as a team in this particular format of the sport. And estate agents can only look at their competitors and go, how do we fundamentally change the way we operate in, in this format of insert town name here, estate agency. Um, how do we make it better for everybody watching us so that more people want to engage with us? That to me is the lesson. Yeah, and I think that is expertly brought back to estate agency, Mr. Hunter. Well done, because you're, you're, you're absolutely right. How many people think all estate agents are the same? Just a different coloured board. Right Move has probably done that to us to a certain extent, um, but actually there is opportunities out there and if you just hmm. sat here you know, four years ago and said oh you know is there an opportunity to you know revolutionize question mark test cricket maybe 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 not is there an opportunity to revolutionize a state agency maybe maybe not but what you can do is you can do things as they've shown to grab people's attention to stand out from the crowd and that will make you different and make your business more successful because when you stand out from the crowd people will not question your fees as much as an agent and that's ultimately where we want to be operating or where i'm sure a lot of agents want to be operating i think it goes a step even earlier in that process when you stand out from the crowd you get more opportunities Mm, yeah and what, what people need in this market where stock is selling for the right price but is very, very tight. You need as many opportunities as possible. So you've got to you've got to be the peacock. You've got to be attracting new viewers to your estate agency, i.e., test cricket, uh, to then have the opportunity to go bigger and better and to you know change your business for the better. Mm, yeah, hundred percent. Shall we uh, dive in and introduce today's guest, and we can talk a little bit more about this sort of thing. Today's guest is a highly experienced state agency and business leader with over 30 years in the industry. He's particularly strong entrepreneurial background, ably supported by flair for organization and structure. He has grown and led teams in all aspects of a state agency. He's been a business owner. He's been a franchise director. He's been an MD for a large corporate. And all of that has led him to his current role as a CEO of the Guild of Property Professionals. Happy birthday for your 30-year anniversary to the Guild the other day. Ian McKenzie, welcome to the World Class Agency podcast. Sam, thank you very much indeed. Delighted to be here. Been waiting for the invite. <laughs> Mr. Hunter, like it, it only took, as you said before, almost four years. But anyway, let's let's yeah. go over that. So Ian, we'll start, this as, <laughs> we'll start this as we start every show. And it's with the question, 
um, that we named the show, and it's what does world-class estate agency look like to you? It's the ultimate question, isn't it? Um, world-class agency looks like um, a firm that understands themselves, knows how they position themselves in the marketplace, which is aligned to their marketplace. So they understand the demographics of the customer base that they're um, working with and hoping to attract. And they really understand uh, the psychology that's involved with selling a home and the stresses that are related to it. And they treat people with the respect and dignity that they uh, deserve. But much more importantly, they facilitate the move in such a way where they give the consumer the choice and they help steer them to make the right choices at every opportunity. I love that. Um, I don't think we talk often enough on this show uh, about the emotion or maybe the emotional toll uh, that it takes on people when they actually move house. Can you can you just go a little bit deeper on on that answer that we said they understand like the stresses and the psychology involved with that moving process? Walk us through that and give you know the listeners yeah. an idea of how you see that and, and how an agent can help relieve some of that. Well, um, it's often said that moving home is the fourth fourth most stressful thing that a person does in their life. And if you think about if you think about that point. Um, when do people move home? It's either then they are where it's usually when they are at distress or opportunity or excitement. And so by all of those things, emotions run high through the individuals. Uh, and as a consequence of that, they have uh, needs, aspirations, et cetera. And they will make decisions that are that are based upon uh, their perception of what good looks like and what right mm. is. And that's where a world class agent, will actually say, sometimes they'll say, Sam, hang on, can you just listen to me, please? Because you're just about to make a huge mistake. And my job is to guide you through the choppy waters of moving home. Um, and for me, that's what great agency looks like. I can give some brilliant examples in the past where um, terrible agency has been salvaged at the last minute by mm -hmm. asking the right questions. Why... Why do most agents, uh, and, and I'm pretty comfortable using the term most agents, but why, why then do most agents not live up to those standards that you just described? Um, maybe it's a lack of empathy. Maybe it is too business focused because it, it's, it's the old adage of putting why at the center. So why mm. are you in business? Why are you in business just to make money? Okay, well, there's nothing wrong with that. We're all entrepreneurs and that's that's okay. But why is the customer selling? So if the customer is selling or buying, it's because of that, as I've already said, the um, the needs that they have, emotional or financial. And as a consequence of that, if you want to influence people in the right way, so it's linking back to the process of influence and help and care. If you want to influence people in the right way, you really have to understand the, the motivation. The, um, not many people know this, Sam, but my, my father was one of the first, um, the world's first hostage negotiators uh, many, many years ago. He's a professor of psychology, and he never really gave me very much advice other than sort of nurture rather than anything else. Mm. But one piece of advice that he always gave me was always, always understand the motivation behind the stance. If you understand the motivation behind the stance, you can start to influence people in the right way. I like that. Information helps you ask the right question. 
Absolutely. But you've also got to want to ask the right question and be interested enough to, to ask the right question. And how many times in all of our careers have we had the feedback? I gave you the most, uh, I, sorry, I gave you the instruction because you seemed to care the most or you were the most enthusiastic or you really understood what it is that I'm trying to achieve. Those are the, those are the pearls, the pearls of agency where you can actually really get under the surface and understand the motivation, motivation behind the stance. Mm. You, meant, you mentioned questions earlier, Ian. You said you've got a few examples of great, great questions over the years that have been used to sell, salvage poor agency. And whilst I don't want to talk about poor agency on this show, I'd be really interested in yeah. some of those examples if, if, you've, if you're happy yeah. to share some of them, because I think that's a really interesting insight, how those questions can just make a big difference to the experience. Yeah, I'll give you I'll give you the the worst one because I think for for a twenty five minute podcast we need to go straight in. <laughs> um, there was a complaint when I was MD of the large corporate. I was running one hundred and twenty offices, and I got a complaint from a lady saying, "Your office is this, your office is that." Blah blah blah. I phoned the manager, and the manager said, "This lady's crazy. Aren't all aren't all customers that complain crazy? That's the feedback that you get. They're mental." <laughs> So I picked up the phone to the lady and I said, um, I'm, I've got your email. Thank you so very much. Let's start at the beginning, please. Um, what's motivating you to put your house on the market? And they said, um, it's a very sad story, but it is really resonates and still keeps me awake uh, at night sometimes. Um, I need to move home. I'm living uh, 250 miles away from my daughter. Uh, she's got two young children. My son-in-law has committed suicide and I'm really worried about my daughter and I need to move closer to her to look after the kids. And when I picked up the phone to the branch manager and said, talk me through the motivation of why this lady is selling, they mm. had no idea. And if, I mean, if there's any compassion in, in mankind or person kind, then surely we really should be asking those questions about what's the motivation and treat people with the respect and dignity they deserve. And it wasn't until I peeled back the layers of that onion and found out the motivation, I could find out why she was phoning every day for an update. Mm. I wanted to know within 20 minutes of whether, whether, the viewing having taken place, whether the person was interested or not. And then when it was sale agreed every single day, what's the convincing process? She was desperate to move close to her family. Mm. I mean, firstly, um, you couldn't not want to help somebody mm. like that when, when that situation, and it comes back to your earlier line of you've got to be interested enough to ask the right question. Um, yeah. I, I, if we, we challenge you before we hit record to give one piece of value uh, for free that someone could implement straight away after this. And to me, if we stop there, that's enough, right? If if all you do is every single person you speak to every day, you're interested enough to care about their goals, you're going to go yeah. a hell of a lot further than just caring about your own. And um, that, that story there, I think I'm putting my uh, training hat on for a second uh, and maybe I can ask you to sort of do the same. You're sitting in front of the training room at that 120 branch network, and you've got a, a room full of new people. How how do you talk them through that situation? Um, one of the things a very early boss of mine said was, "You'll never really understand what people go through till you go through it yourself. Go and buy a house, yeah. right? Because then then you suddenly get like your hand isn't steady when you're writing an offer, and you feel sick in your stomach, and you can start to understand that, and you can use that." to make people feel comfortable, to bring their defenses down, to empathize. But how do you, how do you get those feelings? How do you uh, encourage that level of interest that you were talking about earlier in, in these new people who are just like, I'm going to be an estate agent because maybe it was the only job I could get or whatever it might be. 
Yeah, um, I think it's something that's in, that's in you to get that interest. Mm. Let me answer the question. Let's go back to the training room. How do you do it? For, for, for me, you start with the impact statement of um, it's how, how would you feel if you were that branch manager that had that complaint against you or you were that negotiator and your boss came to you and said, these are the circumstances. So I want you to write down on a piece of paper all of the emotions of how you would feel if, if, if you had made the same mistakes that that person had. Because that might then take it into their into their subconscious a little bit more. It's the the old saying is um, what I hear I forget what I see I remember and what I do I understand. So I understand to the point that you've just said about making people own it. So role plays rehearsal uh, role plays um, I think are very good. Believe it or not, people hate them, but I always love them because people revert to type and use words and expressions that they know and like rather than actually. Uh, the right phrases uh, and just talking through the emotions of imagine that this was you and your family how mm. would you feel if your agent was treating you this way that's the first thing to so go right into the into the depths of the emotion of it and then talk about okay so structurally or professionally how can we avoid this happening what steps can we what process can we put along the way that mean that we actually understand all of the needs of all of our customers and one of the things we did before I was in the corporate world, in the independent world, we used to have the vendor story written on the file of every single customer. We used to understand their motivation and what their needs were, that we would update every time we spoke to them if they changed. But from day one, it was the lister's opportunity to write the vendor story in back in those days on the file, on the front cover of the file in the filing cabinet. But now, of course, in the CRM system, what, what's the motivation behind the stance? That's a great place to start. The motivation behind the stance of every single customer. Hmm. I, I think I want to ask you a question about how um, state agencies changed over time. But just yeah. that example there, pretty difficult to miss the story if you're going and grabbing the file out to get some information on that. If it's literally on the front of the folder, it's easier to miss it if it's maybe the first note in a CRM and there's been a few viewings and that note gets pushed further down. Yeah. So that's an example of where technology is probably removing that um, human element. I don't know if human element is yeah. the right word, but uh, it's not smashing you in the face as much as it should be. And if, if there's any CRM providers listening to this, of which I know there are a couple, uh, maybe you just bring a thing in that when you open a property file, it brings up the motivations as the first thing you see and you've mm -hmm. got to X out of it before you get in there and do whatever it is you need to do. But it, you know, but there's agents that will have morning meetings and they should uh, they talk about what have you listed yesterday, what have you listed tomorrow, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they talk about the property. They talk about the bricks and mortar, et cetera. Actually, mm. maybe they start with the motivation, just as a thought. I think, that, I think that's a great point. So on that note then, um, we were having a conversation uh, before we started hitting record and we were talking about uh, 30 years of the Guild and how things might have changed. And, and you said that you got up there and you gave a very short but very powerful speech, uh, my words, not Ian's, uh, about... Uh, the fact that 30 years ago you needed a window card, a magazine, and a good pitch to be an estate agent, right? What's changed? Um, it's not necessarily window cards, but apart from that, very <laughs> little. Uh, it's, so the Guild was set up by a chap called Malcolm Lindley because the corporates were very strong in 1993, and this was uh, the opportunity to create a network of like-minded independent agents that could all refer to each other, which was fundamentally the pitch of the corporates. Um, and the, the narrative was that uh, it was the selection process where there's exclusivity about the Guild 
Um, it was the selection process, why and how you were identified to be the Guild member in your given town or city, um, and how you had to sign to a code of conduct. So the Guild's code of conduct was actually the first in the industry, believe it or not, which is quite remarkable to think. Uh, and it allowed you to, if you chose the right words, and I always say this to Guild members, if you choose the right words that the customer resonates with, um, that uh, they will understand that the Guild is a powerful entity where you've been identified and selected as the best independent agent. I love that. So on that then, 30 years ago, what was the best independent agent? What did they look like? And then how, how has that evolved to now? Like what do they need to be recognized as that? Not, not necessarily to be accepted was... into the guild, but on a broader sense. Yeah, 30 years ago, I'm going to argue is harder than it is today. Because 30 years ago, um, you had to, uh, art, like I've already said, articulate, choose the right words to resonate with the customer. I'm huge on that. You can't have the same standard pitch for everybody because people's personalities are different and their, and their backgrounds are different. So if you chose the right uh, words, the best agents 30 years ago would make the customer feel that they were delivering a unique bespoke marketing strategy for them. That's it. Because 87% of customers want a bespoke marketing strategy to sell their home. They want, they want the agent to gear um, their presentation to their needs. If they need to sell quickly, it's different words. If they need to find a property, it's different words, et cetera, et cetera. We could go through the list. In today's world, you need to articulate a strategy for success, a marketing strategy that is bespoke. But nowadays, it's easier because people have got different technologies and different um, capacities. So, um, but again, fundamentally, the principle is the same. It is the agent choosing the right words to to reassure the customer that, that, that they are the agent of choice. Mm. I, I, I do have a saying in agency. It is an estate agent's right to ask any question or, tr or um, go for any type of close or ask for any business they wish. It is their job to use the right words. Yeah, I like, I like that. And I've, I've been listening as you've been talking here, Ian, about the respect and the dignity and understanding that psychology. And I think that story that you told about the complaint is a really, really powerful one. Um, but I just didn't have a chance to to say that before. So I just wanted to just point point that out because that's really, that's really had an impact. And it's kind of one of those that made me sort of sit back and think, well, actually, you know, that's how, that's how important our job is. And I think those two words yeah. that you've used time and time again, respect and dignity, you are, are so important in this job. And if you don't ask those questions, then you don't have an opportunity to show those, um, you know, to to you know feelings and what have you so i think that's really really important but i wanted to follow up on what you talked about and bespoke marketing strategy and how you said it was probably easier 30 years ago to how it is now so when you're talking to your guild guild agents about the bespoke marketing strategy and the wording that you've used before what do you mean by that and how would you suggest that the agents without giving away too much how would you suggest that agents are able to build and demonstrate a bespoke marketing strategy um, today because as you say it's quite different to 30 years ago well the, the the posh answer in today's world is that you use data so you look at the demographic breakdown of your towns and locations and you identify um uh what the customer base is so for example if you're living in an area which is very bung bungalow orientated i'll use it as a great example because and it is a little bit stereotypical 
because my father is an 83 year old silver surfer that can build websites and I don't, I can hardly click onto a website. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're, if you're dealing with a demographic that is more likely um, to not be on all of the social media or not be on certain platforms and you build a strategy that is bespoke for them. If you're in a very urban area, which is yeah, very TikTok orientated and Instagram orientated, then you do that. So the first, first principle of that is you have to understand the demographic of the marketplace that you are a working in and b trying to focus and target on um, and how to gain the exposure for the home that you're delivering. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that in today's world where it, if there is an argument that is slightly harder is that we used to have in the old olden days, the, uh, the a- uh, active marketplace and the passive marketplace. And you have much more control over those two entities because the active marketplace 35 years ago were people that would walk into your estate agency office. The equivalent of that today is that people go onto the portals and go onto your website. Mm. In the olden days, people would look at the, the passive marketplace with the newspaper that had been landing on the doormat on a Thursday. They'd flick through the newspaper and um, pick up the phone or walk into your office if they saw something. So you could mm. really stimulate the passive marketplace much easier 35 years ago. In today's world, agents need a strategy for both a really clearly articulated strategy for both. Uh, and I and I would be using the language of active and passive when I was talking to on evaluation. I'd be saying the active marketplace is 80% of the market. That's where people go into the portals. They're active. They da-da-da-da-da. The real value, Mrs. Miggins, is in the passive marketplace. And this is where we are world-class as an agency. And we have strategies unlike any other independent agent in this town. We have this strategy of social media, uh, nurture journeys of our database, exactly, et cetera, et cetera. Propensity to move models, Sam, we both know about propensity to move models, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And it will be talking through the strategy of maximum exposure of your property to ensure that we obtain the best price. Because what is a home worth? A home is worth the price that somebody's prepared to pay. Yeah, I love so, that. Uh, so I, I want to come back to um, uh, a I'm almost throwaway comment that you made before about using the right words. And I think you've just given us an example of, of a few just in, in that answer there. So active versus passive marketplace, maximizing the price exposure for your property, things like that. Yeah. Um, it's probably too simple of a question, but Mark and I are selling our house. You know, we're looking for something bigger. We really want to grow our family, whatever it might be. What are the right words that you'd use for us? Uh, I He's would, the tough one, I, so you got to talk to him. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's already sold. Yeah, so to it, building the jigsaw, I'd go back a bit. Is talk me through the motivation. Where do you need to be? Talk, talk me through what's made you important. Want to put your home onto the market, and what areas you're looking for. You've got children, so thinking about schooling. The always the flag for me was with families is schooling because mm. um, parents are motivated more by their children than their their are their own needs. Not all the time, but most of the time. So it would be really focused on the kids. It'd be focused on the needs where that is concerned. Um, I would be talking about uh, which is more important to you, location or size. Again, it's just all of these just different questions that, that are the strategy. I would be talking about um, in your in your mind at the moment, do you wish to find a property before you sell a property? I'd flush that one out and I would tackle that one head on. Um, and people invariably say, oh, I definitely want to find a property before I put my house on the market. And I, this is where I was always quite impish as an agent. I would say, so Mark, let me just tell you what I've just heard. 
Um, what you said was, I want to find a property before I before I buy one. What I heard was, I want to pay too much for the house that I'm buying and undersell mine. Mm -hmm. like and it. you'll oh, say, and you'll say, no, I didn't. I, that's not what I said. And I would say, I know, I know that's what you didn't intend to say, but that's actually what you have said. One of the things that you'll get with me is years of experience of other people making mistakes that I will use to stop you making a, a mistake. So let me just talk through what's going to happen. You're going to go and see your dream, find your dream home. You're going to take your wife around. Your kids are going to go around. The kids are going to fall in love with the bedroom. And you are going to be hassled from that day on until you either secure or lose that property. You're then going to say to me, Ian, as your agent, I love this home. I'll have already picked up on the messages and notes from the behavior of going around the house. And I know that as I'm acting for my vendor, I'm going to get a full asking price offer out of you. You're then going to invite me around to see your home. And I'm going to say, you're really up against this, Mark. I need to price your property leanly, particularly in this marketplace, for you to secure that house. We're talking about a 20 grand swing. So the advice that I'm giving you now, please, Mark, and please listen to me on this, is place your home onto the market now. Do the research to reassure yourself that there is stock and type of property that you think that you can find. Please do that reassurance because that's fundamentally important. But once you're reassured, put your home onto the market, sell it in good time, get the top value for it that the market will allow you to get. And then go it back, go into bat. We'll say go into bat because it's the Ashes series. Let's go into bat um, and then try to negotiate the best rate that you can on the home that you wish to buy. And that's another example, Sam, of using the right language. 100%. And I think the three of us are sitting here nodding at each other uh, over Zoom because that makes complete sense to us. And we've also been in situations where people have listened and come out with great results and they've retained that control of their own journey, I guess. Right. And we've also had people have gone, no, nah, I'm going to do it the way that I, I feel is right. And they have maybe not necessarily undersold, um, but they've definitely left money and time and stress on the table. Um, there was a statistic and I can't remember where it is, but I will try and find it uh, between now and when this podcast goes out tonight uh, and link it in the show notes. But it was something in the region of 40,000 pounds. Now we did this research in 2018. So it's a bit of a different world that we live in now. But if you bought before you sold, you sold your home for on, on average across the UK. So big difference between regions and areas, but it's 40,000 pounds difference less than if you'd yeah. sold first and yeah. again it does come back to that control is is it was a really key word for me as an agent and again i'm conscious i haven't done this for a really long time so maybe it's changed but you sit there and you say my job is to keep you in control if somebody yeah. wants to buy your house today and move in tomorrow but you haven't found yet we can say no and we can say you can move in in 60 days or 90 days or whatever it is and the fun thing about england is it takes a pretty long time to move house anyway so you're probably yeah. not going to have great deal of moving pressure whereas here in australia someone buys my house tomorrow they're moving in 30 days as standard so wow. it's a little bit more of a skillful conversation to push them out three months when the expectation is that they'll move in 30 days um so again yeah i think you know um uh, i can't remember the guy's name phil jones uh, exactly what to say you know similar sort of thing ian mckenzie could have exactly what to say if he wouldn't have a trademark because the, using those right words is crucial and that comes back to your earlier point ian doesn't it of role playing yeah so learning learning these words so they become key messages rather than scripts and dialogues and you internalize them and you use the, your own slang and intonation when it matters most instead of just yeah. sounding like a robot yeah completely yeah, completely good. right
yeah, I'm sold already. Ian, to be perfectly honest with you, um, <laughs> but. Uh, I want to I want to just talk about the demographic. You mentioned it in your answer about world class agency. You mentioned it again um, just just after that as well. And you were talking about the bungalow um, example. Know your demographic. Appeal to that demographic of of your marketplace. So, do you think that too many agents try and have a one size fits all strategy? And if so why and how would you advise them to try and break that down because it's quite hard i think as an agent not to try and offer a service to everyone but actually what you're saying is know your demographic and really sort of appeal to that so why do you think agents don't um i think it's unintentional uh, i think it's because they haven't really thought about the fact that they need to and so th so therefore they don't know that they have to um if you go back to my beginning 30 odd years ago I worked for a firm called Gerald Proberts in the in the southwest, and their adverts every single week were funny. Hmm. Um, and uh, it was the guy that, that was the first um, advocate of this was a chap called Brooks in the in in London in the sixties. All the adverts were funny, and people used to go to the ads. But there was much more substance that sat behind that funniness, and the, and we were trained how to do this. It was here's the property. Try and think of the profile of the person that's going to buy their house and then think about what their sense of humour is. And it's a really subtle way. And every single Tuesday, we had to write 30 or 40 adverts for the newspaper. And then people would go to Probert's advert because they wanted to laugh on a Thursday night. It was a really good strategy. Hmm. Um, and, and it worked fa fabulously well. Um, I think that agents don't do it, like I said, because they don't know that they need to. So I would, again, just as a takeaway that's free, if you're in a town or a location, depending on the size, think about three areas that you want to dominate for whatever reasons they, that, that you have that, that you that you need for your business. It might be cross-sale activity. It might be the affluent area. It might be the high volume area. But think about and write down on a piece of paper, a good old fashioned piece of paper, because um, it helps with learning. The three areas. Then think about the type of people that live in those locations with the type of properties, and then think about the types of things that might appeal to them in terms of marketing strategies or techniques and communication, and then build one, two, or three, depending on whether they're similar or different, strategies of how you're just gonna go and dominate those locations. Stop trying to boil the ocean, focus on getting those territories. So I give it a real life example. When I was in Win Winchester, I focused on Kingsworthy, Badger Farm and Colden Common when I first set up. There were three at large estates. I knew that if I got one house on the market, I'd get two. I knew that I'd get mortgages and conveyancing off the back of them. Hmm. I was looking intentionally to be a mass market trading entity. That was my strategy. I left the top end of the market. They're all of the big boys in Winchester. I knew that I wouldn't actually resonate with them. So I, that was my strategy that we, that we delivered. And that was in the late 90s. So there are agents that think this way and have thought this way for, for a long, long time. I think that comes back to the point that you made earlier that not, not a great deal in, in terms of what works has changed in that 30 years. Um, one of the sort of key things that we've been harping on about uh, over the last few weeks is is that estate agency is, is like a pop song. It's only got four chords. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, true. and songs have changed. There's been how many thousand pop songs have been over the last 30 years, 40 years, but it's all the same four chords and you've just got to keep nailing them. You've got to be that boringly consistent and adapt to the times, but keep those core activities. 
and and those yeah. world class elements you mentioned earlier the same. Um, I I want to, well, I want to hopefully wrap on on one sort of crystallized piece of advice that uh, will uh, inevitably wow our listeners and leave them thinking, right, that's what I'm going to do today. So we, we mentioned earlier that it's 30 years uh, of the Guild of Property Professionals. Uh, you guys had a party. Was it last week? I think it was. Um, yeah, everybody was there. I, I imagine you would have had uh, a, a few agents from the Guild and maybe a few suppliers as well with a couple of beers in their hand come up to you, whisper in your ear saying, you know, it's tougher than we see it out there or we've had a good year but things might have slowed down or whatever it might be what what was the common piece that you'd give back to them you know what was the one sort of thing that somebody shook your hand and said thank you and that's what i need to hear today or whatever it was that you could leave our listeners with today um couple, couple of things firstly uh, it was it, it's a, it will be okay because i think that sometimes people just want to hear that it will hmm. be okay it's not 2007 uh, the 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 um the Western world isn't bankrupt. They're just covering it up. We're, we're not in that territory. Um, and I said, let's not forget my favorite sliding agency. When interest rates were at 15.4%, there were more transactions than, than there were when they were 0.01%. So it will be okay. Mm. What we've got, what you've got to do is balance the rhetoric of the press. The press are out there on a particularly negative stint at the moment. Inflation going up to 6%. You've got your customers that are making a decision based upon one side of the coin. Give them and give them the opportunity to make an informed decision. That's one thing I always say to people: go and educate your customer to go make the decisions. Because one of the interesting slides, Sam, was that house prices in 1993 versus house prices two years ago. There's in London, it's a thousand and seventy-one percent increase. <laughs> in uh, Birmingham, it was eight hundred and seventy-five percent increase in that thirty years. In Bristol, it was. 760% increase. I'm going from memory. Now, these are all roughly about right. And we've had dips in that time. We've had peaks and troughs. We've had markets crashing by 19% in 2007. So the long-term projection for property is still a great long-term projection. And that's the bit to reassure the customer is they're never going to buy at the, at the absolute um, bottom of the marketplace. As long as you can get in the bottom 5 or 10%, then you're in a great place, which is probably where we are now. And it is just remaining true to the words of just going to influence your customers for the right reasons, because that's the advice that they need. Very good. Influence your customers for the right reason, because that is the advice they need. Ian, thank you. Um, I think that's been that's been a really uh, insightful, but also very practical conversation. And that is genuinely what we aim for each and every week on this show. So from Mark and myself and everybody listening, we really appreciate you giving us your time this morning and look forward to it not being four years till we get you on the next time. Indeed. A massive thank you once again to Ian McKenzie from the Guild for joining us today. Sam, I really liked some of the language that he sort of shared throughout throughout that. Um, but the answer to world class agency you mentioned in there it was slightly different to um, answers that we'd we'd had before. I talked about going back and looking at the respect and the and the dignity, and he'd also talked majorly about understanding the psychology of a move throughout, you know, the, the episode. What, what did you take from that answer that you thought was a little bit different as you, as you said? Um, for me, it was the, the psychology point again. Mm. So um, I think the way that we've probably oversimplified it in the past is, is we've said buying is exciting and selling sucks. 
Um, <laughs> and yes, it's deeper than that. Uh, but that might just cut through to some of the people listening to this who, who you know, psychology is a scary word. Mm. There, there are so many emotions people go through when they're thinking about selling their home and the the perception and the feeling and often the reality is that they have everything to lose. You know, if you if you make an offer on a home and, and you don't buy it, you've not lost anything. You might feel like you have, but the reality is that you haven't. If you undersell your home, you've lost genuine like capital mm. um, that you thought that you were going to get. So there is a risk associated with it. Um, and uh, I was just about to say, and you've got to communicate that risk really well as an agent, but I, I'm not sure how you'd go about doing that. So I'm going to think on that thought for a little while. Uh, and come back to it if if there is a way of going there. But I think what you can do is you can recognize the pressure that people feel. It comes back to that point that we, we talked about uh, as we were speaking with Ian, like the best thing you can do is go and buy and sell a house as an estate agent. Mm, yeah. So you can truly understand those emotions and how excitement when you're going and viewing houses quickly turns to fear when, when you start thinking about actually buying them. Mm. Um, and you know, everyone's signature on their mortgage offer is the worst signature they've ever done because they're signing their lives away for a 25 or 30 year yeah, contract. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, being able to explain that and, and articulate that and relate to that is a, is a skill, uh, in itself. And it does disarm people and it makes them understand that you do actually care. You know, you mentioned how many, how many stories do you hear of people who win, the the instruction just off the care factor and he said a line which we talked about in the show of you know if you've got to be interested enough to ask the right question that that does come back to caring enough to understand the needs of your client you know and and really relating to the emotions involved with moving Mm. um from the fear involved to you know the excitement of getting them focused on the next place yeah, you know, and... so that you can sort of encourage them to market sooner. So I, to me, that was that was the key part of that. What does world class agency look like to him? And I think it makes a lot of sense to me too. Yeah, and you talked about the risk side of it. I think he demonstrated how you potentially could talk about it, but in kind of different language. With that, you know, sell, sell first or buy first. That's a great, great yeah. question. Great question, um, and very well delivered. Um, what I've heard is you want to overpay for your new home and undersell your current one. But great, great question. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd love to be a fly on the wall when that one's delivered in, in certain situations. I, I think that they're, they're the kind of like courageously direct lines that the best mm. agents probably are delivering. Mm. Um, but I think if that was the, if you sat down with somebody and you said, do you want to buy or sell first? And that was the first question you asked <laughs> and they said that, and you jumped in with that line you're probably going to get a few people's backs up, but if you yeah. invest the time and energy in people over time and, and they understand that you're there to guide them and, and you say, Hey, can I have your permission just to be direct? You know, I, I, I'd like to be as direct as possible because I feel like that's what gets the best results for my clients. It may not mm-hmm. necessarily be the most comfortable thing to hear at times, but I'm here to do a job, not necessarily to be your best friend. Yeah, that yeah. could happen afterwards if, you know, we have a great relationship, but I think you'd rather, you know, if you want your best friend to sell your house, you do it yourself. If you want a professional to sell your house, that's why I'm sitting in front of you right now. Uh, and Ian talked about knowing your demographics and knowing the marketplace. That sort of direct strategy will work in certain places and not in others. And that's for the agents mm. to, you know, with like with any of these things, it's to take it and to put your own spin on it. Or if you think it will work, to to, to try it. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought that was a really interesting way to um, communicate that. One thing I want to talk about is... The point that we ended on 
And it's something that we've been talking about a lot, um, about trying to communicate the context of um, the news. And Mm. uh, Ian talked about balancing the rhetoric of the press. And I think that's a really interesting um, point that as agents we need to consider a lot at the moment because the press are banging the drum very, very hard, um, have been for some time. I think some people are a bit immune to it. Others clearly will take take more of it in. I don't, I, I'll be honest with you, I hardly really know what they're saying. I probably do need to know a little bit more, um, but I just, I'm not, I'm genuinely not interested at all, but you, you have to be because there is an importance in that. But if your clients are reading it, watching it, um, listening to it. And I think it's also in, important um, to balance the rhetoric of the press internally within our businesses as well as externally. So if you have team members that are watching the news, reading the newspapers, becoming concerned about what the future may hold, because it's a pretty bleak picture that's being painted that not the picture that we're necessarily seeing out in the marketplace. But I think you've also got to reassure your your team members. And I thought Ian's point about there being more transactions when interest rates were 15% than when they were 0.1 is a great way to do that. Yep, absolutely. Um, The the point that you make there about not necessarily watching so much, I don't think you need to watch it all, but you certainly need to just get a look at the headlines. Mm. Um, One of the things that we sort of said to Ian off air, uh, was the majority of people are just reading the headlines, so they will they will read market crash imminent or anything mm-hmm. like that. And and it's probably been a few weeks since we've mentioned him, but like Gatesy does a really good job um, on his social media of comparing a headline to the reality, and he'll he'll put whatever the Times is up, um, or whatever was in the Guardian or you know that other paper that nobody reads, um, and then he'll actually show some legitimate figures. And that all he's doing is showing the way for free that any agent can go out there and find those numbers or anything like that as well. And that's fundamentally what you have to do. Like we, we sort of spoke at the top of the show about making things entertaining and engaging and funny mm-hmm. and being a bit different, uh, you know, revolutionizing a state agency in your local market akin to the English cricket team. Well, yeah, you've got to do that sort of stuff as well. But that stuff may be seen as irreverent or um, not appropriate if then immediately the next thing they see is that the market is crashing, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so it can't all be pointing at words on a screen and a TikTok dance. You've got to actually get out there and tell people what's really going on. And that's your job, right? Yeah. We are incredibly well-paid communicators if we communicate incredibly well. If we don't communicate, we're not paid anything, then life sucks. Mm-hmm. So think of it like that, read the headline, understand what that really means for your marketplace and put those messages out there consistently. Say the same thing over and over again until the next headline comes out and then do the same thing over and over again until the next headline comes out so that if people are reading those headlines, at least they're reading yours and yours should be more contextual and more specific to them. Mm. And it goes from there. Yeah, and that then can become entertaining that can become people looking at that for the hyperlocal news for actually understanding as you said what it means to them rather than what it means on a national scale because i read some of these national um bits and pieces of on data and what have you the regional differences across this country are massive so actually mm. we have a, we have a job as you said as, as excellent communicators to actually under make that data you know 
mean something to people in your local town because most people will be moving in and around you know the region that you're you're based in it's probably you know, a little bit rarer in certain parts than, than others but most people will tend to be staying quite local so actually a national statistic on property values could be massively different to what you're seeing in your local areas so tell people i think you've got to uh look at it that it will be like it's almost mm. guaranteed to be different at your local level um and so that that's what you need to become right it's it's you're the news funnel mm. so whatever you saw on the bbc tonight whether it was bbc national bbc midlands bbc Northern, whatever it is right filter that down you really need to worry about what's happening in cheshire you need to worry yeah. about what's happening in manchester or whatever it's going to be right um and it's it is incredibly simple because you operate, you buy and sell houses in that area every single day. You know what's going on. Yeah. And you read those newspapers or you see those articles or somebody's shared something online and you doom scroll past it, right? So just put those two things next to each other and say, this is what you're reading. This is the reality and this is why. Mm. And watch people come to you. And if nothing else, they will say thank you. Yeah, because also right. those are the people ask you those questions socially because they know that. So people do mm. rec do recognise that. So I think that's a, a really good point. One final one final part I just wanted to talk about before before we wrap up, Sam. Something that you said um, within there, and I think there was loads of little good key questions. So if you have been listening to this out on a run or out in the car and you've not been able to make some notes, there is I th I think some really interesting language that you can use on a day to day basis. And you said my job is to control the process, and all of that mm. that we talked about respect respect dignity, understanding the the psych psychology of it. Ian talked about the potential stresses of, of moving house, the process. You know, it's not perfect, but our job as agents is to control it. Let's tell clients and give them the confidence that we're able to control that process for them. Yeah, I, I think um, something I was thinking about as we we're having that conversation, um, and I, I might ruin it now, but I'll try and work through it uh, in, in my brain in real time. So we'll see where we end up with this, is a good way of getting wherever you want to go is is to picture in your mind what a great outcome looks like, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, I, I won't go into too much detail, but if you want to have a really good first date, picture in your mind what a great out, outcome for the end of that date looks like and, and work your way back as to what are the steps that you need to get to that moment in time. A great question and some great language to ask a seller when you're sitting with them is what does a great outcome look like for you? And you write down, so like price, you write down time frame, you mm. write down marketing, you write down agent, maybe you write your name next to it, right? <laughs> and again, working through this as we're talking, no idea if this is going to work, but logically it makes a lot of sense. And when you're goal setting and you want to achieve something, this is what you do and it's proven to work time and time and time again. And it's a fascinating um, and really sort of practical way of involving your clients in the process. Mm. So you get what they want. You understand what, what their ideal outcomes look like. Well, they want to move to this town. They want to move to this town in this price. And this is the ideal budget they'd like to buy in, which means they've got to sell for this price. And ideally, they'd like to be there before the kids start school. You know, a great point that Ian spoke about was a lot of parents make decisions based on their children rather than themselves. I'd never yeah. heard that before. As a parent, that makes complete sense. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Right? Um, what a fantastic way of sitting with somebody and say, Hey, this moves really about the kids, isn't it? And they're like, wow, it is. Mm. You get me. Right. That's what you want. You want people to come away thinking that guy or that girl understood me. Mm. That happens. You win the business at your fee 
everyone's happy, you sell lots of houses. So get them to think about what um, what a great move, what their best possible outcome looks like, right? And you outline it. They're telling you the price they want for their house. They're telling you the time frame they want to move in. They're telling you where they want to go. They're telling you the kind of house that they want to go and buy. So you can go and facilitate that if it's within your trade area. And we all know great piece of kit. They can do that. Wink, knowledge. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, so you then get to a point where you're like, well, my job is to control as many of the variables as possible to make sure this happens, right? So you want to move in the next three months. You haven't found what you want, but we know that it's roughly 40,000 pounds less that you will sell your house for if you're under pressure to sell it because you've committed elsewhere. So we've got to get you on the market and we've got to find you a buyer that dovetails as perfectly as possible with your time frame. That's why you've hired me. So we can retain as much control here as we possibly can, right? You said that you loved our funny marketing. So let's talk about what that looks like, right? Or you've got a beautiful garden. It's raining for the next week. So as much as we want to get you moved on this time frame, the last thing we want to do is take photos tomorrow because it's not going to present the garden in the best light. Mm. And that could cost us 10 or 15 grand in negotiations because yeah. maybe we only have one buyer to negotiate with. So let's really get this right. Let's stay in control from the first moment. That's so much better than, yeah, we can sell your house. <laughs> Well, I think it is anyway. Again, untested. Someone go out there and implement that and let me know how it goes. But I got a pretty good feeling that that's going to set you apart, right? Maybe that's not basball, but it's, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think you know, I scoring think. runs at a, a reasonably fast run rate is good cricket. Paddling it with a reverse sweep over first and second <laughs> slip on the first ball of the third day. You get four runs, but Jesus, risky. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty high risk. That was pretty high risk. But these, but these, ballsy moves. But that was high risk. What we've talked about today is not high risk, but I think it is potentially very, very high reward. There's been loads of key takeaways from both you and and Ian there. So yeah, a massive thank you once again to Ian McKenzie for for joining us. I think a really good episode with lots of um, just little nuggets that people can implement that doesn't cost anything. So yeah, I must thank you. As you know, we do this because we love our industry. We want to see it improve and get better. If you have enjoyed today's play, enjoy that. Can't speak today. Enjoyed today's show. Please share it out on social media, share it with colleagues. I'm Matt Worrell. He's Sam Hunter. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again next week. This episode was sponsored by Revis.com. If you are looking to grow your new build department, you should check out Revis.com because it's a visualisation tool that can help bring properties to life before a brick is laid. If you are wanting to show potential house buyers around property that isn't built yet, allow them to actually customise kitchens floor coverings, wallpaper, that sort of thing, then Revis.com is a great tool and I suggest that you check it out.